Hello and welcome. Thank you for listening to Your Neighbor, a Priest, a podcast featuring commentary and theological reflection on local news and events in Southwest Washington and the larger themes that impact all of us as we wrestle with the challenges of life and in particular American life in the 21st century. I'm Father Nick Mather, Rector of St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Longview, Washington. I am your neighbor and I am a priest. On today's episode, we begin our special two-parter series on evil and sin with a conversation on evil. What is it? How does it impact our lives? And how can we respond to its presence among us? I want to start our conversation on evil with a story that happened just this past month. A pastor friend reached out to me because she had offered prayers over the phone for someone who was experiencing something troubling. My friend reached out and asked would it be alright to share my contact information to explore the issue facing this individual further. As an Episcopalian, I lean much closer to Catholicism than my other Protestant pastor friends, and in that I have in my tradition a toolbox, if you will, for addressing situations that are more uncommon than common. And speaking with the individual, they expressed that a quote-unquote dark energy or force was present in their home. It had started somewhat innocuous, but it developed into something that was terrifying her and her child, preventing them from staying in their residence. I offered to come over with another pastor friend in support. There's always strength in numbers when you're going out in the service of Christ. And I offered prayers and to bless the home moving room by room, offering the blessing of God through the sprinkling of holy water throughout the home, and expressing that this home is one where God inhabits, and no others are welcome to detract from that reality. As we went from room to room, offering this blessing, the person was overcome with a sense of peace and comfort in this space that had been causing her fear. And I left the home assured that this family could be restful in their home once more. I use this story as our lead into the theme this week because it is important to note that evil is both more prevalent and much harder to pin down than we would like to admit. The response to evil is not exorcism or bust. It is spiritual warfare, but not necessarily an epic battle of mythic proportions. The concept of evil asks of us to consider who we are and how we want to interact with this world and how we can create comfort and calm for those who are distressed. The history of evil throughout time is varied, fraught, oftentimes racist and or sexist, sometimes silly even, and most often based on one simple reality we as human beings are often afraid of that which we do not know and cannot perceive within our own limited means. In our modern American culture and society, the most prevalent understanding of evil is informed and built out by our popular media, television, movies, books, etc. The most famous example of this is likely the 1973 film The Exorcist, 
which ushered in a new understanding of evil as something to place on the screen, to study, to be scared by, but also to emulate in future media. And ultimately, it was something that is fundamentally not real by virtue of the medium within which it is most commonly found. This one film put the consumption of evil as a genre into the mainstream, a consumption that we continue to be fascinated by to this day. In fact, there's a TV show on CBS right now that's titled Evil. But prior to the early 1950s, in the mainstream acceptance of the scientific method as the means for exploring the world, the conversation around evil was quite different. For the Christian church, the acceptance of evil as a spiritual and physical force present in the world was the predominantly held opinion for nearly 2,000 years. From the work of mystics to saints to C.S. Lewis, the conversation on evil was respected, honored, and carefully pondered. In the past 70 plus years, we have moved away from that weight of tradition as we've come to learn and understand so much more about our world through science. And yet, we miss something when we dismiss outright that history of tradition that is present. This shift has also allowed us to overlook how we have used evil to build up the systems of oppression in our culture that exist to this day. Evil has long been prescribed to those things that we don't understand, that we fear, but also those things and people whom we want to exert control and power over. Evil in America has been used to describe the wilderness by Puritan ministers, speaking of the evil and devils that exist in the deepest, darkest unknowns of the forest. This line of teaching was used to justify a number of things including the domination of the wilderness through industry and the outright removal of the wilderness, hunting animals to the brink of extinction, if not over that line, and most damningly, was used to justify the genocide of native peoples who were seen as quote-unquote godless, not because they did not subscribe to the specific puritanical Christian identity that these early Europeans held. Southern slaveholders would also use evil and the tendency to equate darkness with evil to subjugate, enslave, torture, murder countless slaves. This teaching had such a deep, lasting impact on the American South and contributed to the spread of general racism towards all non-white people and to all aspects of American society that things like Jim Crow, lynchings, unjust criminal justice systems, and more examples were allowed to fester and grow unchecked to the point where we are still 160 years post-Civil War, arguing whether or not acknowledging that Black Lives Matter somehow is a persecution of white people. To be clear, it isn't, and we must state that Black Lives Matter because they clearly haven't in the history of this country and our society. At the very least, not equally with white lives within our society for far, far too long. This history of evil is important to name 
and hold in our conversation today. Because even as we have tried to forget that evil is real by making it something controllable and consumable through our media, the reality is that evil and the perceived threat of evil as both a means of fear and a means of controlling power has had its fingers on most of the balance of our history. In that reality, evil has entered into this world spiritually and arguably physically, and it continues to do so. It's probably not doing so in the way you've been picturing it before. I want to welcome to the podcast today our special guest, Reverend Stephen Balky, who's a priest in the Episcopal Church serving St. Stephen's in Beaumont, Texas. Welcome, Stephen. Hi, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. Uh, for those wondering where I know Stephen from, given that he's a priest in Texas, uh, Stephen and I both went to seminary together and continue to stay in contact on all things church, including questions of theology and, and how we address the issues facing our day. So Stephen, uh, we're talking about evil today on the podcast, and I want to put forward before you just a simple question. How do you define evil? Right, yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, um, being honest, growing up for the longest time, I even struggled with this idea of is evil even really a real thing? Uh, for the longest time, I just thought that was, that was kind of just an easy way to scapegoat, to say we're all struggling with how to make the right decision as people. We're all tempted to do things that we know are the wrong decision or to, or to avoid what we know is the right decision. And, and it felt like just saying, well, you know, some people are evil or there's evil in this world felt like, you know, it, it was an easy out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right. You almost didn't have to take responsibility for it. You could say, oh, that wasn't my poor decision making. That was evil. Yeah. The devil made me do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so uh, it moves into this sort of like dual realm of what is evil. Like is evil something that's within us or is evil this outside force, right? And I think that's something that if you look at philosophers for, for you know, thousands of years and people even before Christianity, right, wrestled with this idea of is evil this outside force that is making me do things versus it being some kind of impurity within me. Um, and it was really only recently that I started thinking to myself, like, why does it have to be this, this either or? Why does it have to be this, this dualist option of it has to be either one or the other, right? Uh, I, uh, I've come to really think about evil actually in a way that's made sense to me as kind of the same way we think about darkness right mm -hmm. like darkness is not you know, darkness is not something other than light it's just the absence of the light in the room 
mm-hmm. and or coldness. Mm. Coldness isn't actually its own thing, right? It's just the absence of there being any heat. Mm-hmm. And in that way, so evil, right? Evil is just, I guess, and if you follow that sense, I think about evil as just being the utter absence of any goodness. Uh, and in that way, can it be something that's out in the world versus something that's in with me, within me? Yeah, absolutely, right? I, I can have no goodness within me at all, and then that's evil within me, right? I can know the difference between what's right and wrong. I can see uh, what needs to be done, what needs to be the right thing, and, and choose to just forsake that, right? That's just turning off the light switch within me, right? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that I really like that sense of evil in a in, in a definition of being an absence of mm-hmm. goodness. Um, and I think that that in defining evil that way, it reframes a lot of the conversations around things like evil or even questions of sin, which is a topic we'll talk about on the next episode of the podcast. Because um, I think that evil is its own thing, its own part of this spiritual uh, existence that we reside within in part of also the physical existence we reside within. Um, And so if evil in and of itself is the absence of goodness, then it can both be in that physical sense that that existence in a physical spiritual way um and also can be something that is an internalized experience as well um and i think that uh that absence of goodness then um kind of leads us into our next question um that maybe is the one of the bigger issues that people have with uh, God, when they struggle with questions of God and they struggle with questions of evil in, in the, the presence of this creation, you know, this wonderfully good made creation, how can bad things happen to otherwise good people? How do, how do evil things happen to good people? Why, why would a God who's all powerful and all knowing and all everything create a system where that happens right i know like i think it's not a coincidence when you look at some of the oldest writings that we have you know the book of job right Hmm. wrestling with this understanding that it makes sense that among the very earliest philosophical and theological you know teachings that we have are around this idea of why do bad things happen to good people? Or why would a perfect, all-powerful God allow bad things to happen? It's something we've pondered since basically we've been pondering. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, you know, and for me, that's, that was why it's been real helpful to avoid thinking about evil as being a label, Hmm. like that you slap onto something um, that as long as you could look at somebody and say, bad things are happening to that person, therefore 
it's evil. As long as you could look at somebody that was making bad choices and say, oh, well, it's just because they're evil. Um, it, was, it was in a way of kind of trying to avoid that wrestling, I think. Mm. Like the fact of the matter is, bad things do happen to perfectly good people and it's not something that they brought onto themselves because they're evil. <laughs> right. Right. But, but that, that's way more uncomfortable to us than it is right. to simply say, oh, well, there must have been a reason that person deserved that. Right. And I think that, you know, I, I think one of the struggles, even for me uh, as a priest um, in this question of theodicy is the sense that we want answers um, to everything as, as human beings. It's something particularly in the last hundred years or so where our ability to know things has grown at exponential leaps and bounds. I mean, we can pick up our phone and search anything and have millions upon millions of results. Um, we wanna know the answer to things. And this is one of those questions where I don't think we can know the answer in any succinct way that, that doesn't have a whole, that doesn't have a counterpoint. Um, and I think part of that does have to do with the fact that creation is something that's built out of harmony and balance. Um, and I think the goodness of creation is its harmony and balance, but when we speak of things being balanced, that means equal measures of two things. And so if we have goodness in the world, well, there has to be a balance point to that. Uh, and the, the, the question then becomes, what are we to learn from that? What are we to experience that? Why, why is this part of the world and how how do we respond to that? And it's a struggle. Yeah, well, and much in the same way that you could say we don't, we could never really appreciate what it is to have warmth unless we've felt the coldness, mm -hmm. right? We can never appreciate what it's, we can't truly appreciate what it's like to have the light we need unless we've seen what it's like to be in darkness and not have it. Uh, in that way, experiencing the lack of goodness around us is what helps us to really appreciate the good. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's, that's part of the message you get from the oldest, oldest texts, like, like the book of Job, that you really appreciate what it's like to be loved and have blessing and to be provided for after having gone through not having that, being deprived of that. Um, yeah, and I think too, one of the things that's that's part of this is I think a lot of things get roped into this bad things category. Um, things like natural disasters or um, that you have plenty of experience with down in, down in Beaumont, um, a number of hurricanes and historic floods and so on and so forth that have struck your area in the last just couple of years. Um, even things like the global pandemic, um, mm -hmm. you know, things that get roped into this category of bad things because they're not pleasant things. They're not things that we want to experience, but I don't think those are evil things. 
um, I think they're parts of living in this creation. And sometimes the actions that we take can accelerate those things and can, can cause those things to happen in different ways. Um, or they just happen. It's just part of this world that's still forming and shaping and growing and evolving. Um, and so I think one of the things when people say, why do bad things happen to good people? We have to take a step back sometimes and ask, well, what, what actually is a bad thing? What, is, what are those things that we define as being evil things that happen to good people? Um, and I think that those things that happen aren't solely just, oh, God is giving us a lesson to learn from, or God is trying to teach us something because you know such person had to suffer such a terrible, horrible thing. Um, and with that, we can learn from them. Um, and we can see when those things happen and try to make it so they don't happen again in the future. Um, we, as part of creation, can step up and insert ourselves into creation and make it so that such and such bad thing doesn't happen to good people. Uh, that, you know, that's a lot of the work that I think we see in the church and in uh, movements all across the country when it comes to racial reconciliation um, and the response to gun violence uh, and those types of actions that the church is actively engaging in. You know, these are examples of bad things that happen to good people and the church is stepping up and saying, well, why are, why are we letting the bad things happen to begin with? Right. Yeah, this is, um, and I think the word, the word that's coming to me now is natural evils, right? Isn't that mm -hmm. the whole natural evils is the idea of the, the, the hurricane, right? Mm -hmm. It comes and sweeps your town away and as a punishment for some sin well, or that's just it, right? Sometimes we, we are meaning making people. We have to, put meaning to it to understand why did this thing happen to us? We must have done something to deserve it. Uh, because as, as terrible as that sounds, as awful as it sounds to be like, oh, we were sinful people, therefore God washed us away with a hurricane. And it's a, as hard as a way of thinking about a loving God as that would be, at least it makes meaning out of it. Mm -hmm. right? It's more than just random, we happen to live right in the perfect spot for this hurricane to hit us. Right, yeah, yeah. Almost, we would rather think of a God as being vengeful than it just being an, a random event. Right. And, but if we get so caught up in the meaning making, maybe, maybe when we see those natural evils around us or even the human made evils around us, you know, epidemics of gun violence, uh, opioid epidemics that are killing uh, millions of people. Um, racial injustice, all of these things that you could argue are, are human-made evils as well as natural evils. If instead of getting so caught up in trying to say, why did this happen to us? Instead, it could be a wake-up call for us to say, this could be our cue. We have good we can bring in here. This is a space to bring the good into. Um, I don't want to keep beating the same metaphor to, to death and all that, but it, you know, it would be like walking into a dark room and instead of saying, gee, I wonder why this room is dark, 
take the darkness as a, as a sign. Oh, I have the opportunity to bring light into here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so using that metaphor, um, and thinking about that, where, when is a time that you have experienced or encountered evil or walked into that dark room and realized I need to bring light into here? And, and what was the result? What was, what, what happened? Oh gosh. Um, you know, the first thing that immediately pops into my mind is a person that I got to know, no, sorry, a person I got to know while I was in seminary who <clears throat> he, we actually got to know each other during, during CPE. We were doing a hospital chaplaincy rotation in, internship, right? Um, and during CPE, he uh, was a Baptist minister who had lost his father to cancer, as I recall, at a young age. And he had grown up in one of those congregations where he was very much taught that, you know, this cancer was caused by some sort of impurity in his father. His father was a sinner, fallen from the grace of God, and that if, and that if he was righteous enough and if his family around him was righteous enough, that God would heal him. And so he devoutly, devoutly, you know, prayed to God, gave his whole life over to God, pledged himself to, and his father succumbed to the cancer and died anyway. And the response that he was just left with was that either his father was just too broken or he was too broken and irredeemable and that it cost his father his life. The, the most tragic thing about that was that, you know, taking that lesson, he, he went about then, of course, also perpetuating that lesson onto others that, that when bad things happen to them, they must have deserved it because that's what happened to him. He and I ended up in quite a few arguments about this for some time uh, before, uh, before we, we looked at it instead as saying this brokenness that he felt at the loss of his father and, and his inability to do something to save him, instead of being a tool that he could use to teach others that, that they themselves need to repent and be freed from their brokenness before badness happens to them, instead it could be a tool for compassion, hmm. right? Instead, it could be a tool that would help him be present to other people who are suffering and lost without a sense of why, that he could really be present to them and help see them through that as a human being. And over time, he got there. Over time, he got there to, to seeing the hardships in his own life as an opportunity to really be compassionate toward others. And this is where it, this is where it became just downright Christ-like to me, because when I think about Christ's response to brokenness in this world, right? Jesus Christ loved us so much that he came into this world and didn't take all our brokenness away. He didn't take away all evil, absence of good. There's still evil in this world before and then after Christ was here, right? What he did was he loved us so much that he dwelled in the midst of it with us, he took it on, felt it with us. Uh, he took a people who, who loved him and... <laughs> 
you want to talk about evil. What, what's, the, what's, what's probably the most absence of good you could ever achieve, right? The most absence of good you could probably ever achieve would be to take somebody who comes to you and loves you with all his heart and your response is to betray him, torture him, and publicly execute him. And, and in that suffering, what Jesus showed us was that he loves us so much that he would dwell in that with us because he gets, he gets how we feel. So there's no amount of, there's no amount of darkness that I know I can go through in my life that I know Jesus hasn't felt with me, that God hasn't felt with me. Um, and that, and that pastor who, who went on to continue to serve his congregation, you know, continued to teach a message of no matter what kind of darkness or brokenness you live in your life, we have lived it too. And we're living it together. And it makes us, it makes us one people. It right. makes us better able to be there for each other. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing. I think one of the things that um, reading reading the pulse of our, our American society and culture uh, currently, you know, with the pandemic, with the presidential election last fall, with the storming of the Capitol in January, um, and the fallout and not fallout from that event, I, I feel like on both sides of the political spectrum. There is a sense that um, people people feel that evil has a stronger grip on our society and culture um, from completely different perspectives and viewpoints. Yeah. But I think if, if we got everyone together, they'd agree on this one thing that uh, evil has a stronger grip on our society today than it has in the past. Um, and I, I want to ask, do you think that that's actually the reality? Is that really the case of what's going on? Are we just in a moment that's just so charged that we can't see beyond that? Um, or is this a time in our society where evil is really present and we need to find figure out a way to work past that to come together once more? You know, that's interesting because I, I think I think maybe what I'm seeing is not that there's more like there's a greater pool of evil out in the world as much as we have gotten really good at just looking at someone we don't agree with and just writing them off as evil. It's that labeling thing again, right? Like we have gotten really good at just taking anything that we have not already prejudged that we agree with. And if you believe, if you believe something I disagree with, it must just be your evil. <laughs> and the danger in that label is then there's no need to be compassionate toward that person. There's no need to be understanding toward that person. Um, there's no need to be in respectful dialogue, right? Cause they're evil. <laughs> And, and so I just think it becomes such an unhelpful label in that way. Uh, what I would so rather see us able to do is, 
is instead of being able to, to look at somebody and label it as that's evil, therefore my, my relationship doesn't need to go any further with you. Instead, to take that as a sign or a cue that, oh, that means there's deep work that needs to be done here. And that, I think that's, the, that's part of the breakdown. That's the breakdown I'm seeing right now is nobody wants to in, you know, nobody wants to engage, not nobody, but you know, there's, there's a real reluctance in our society right now to engage with somebody that you know comes at something in a very, in a very different way than you do. How do we get over that barrier? How do we get over that, that, um, that mental block to engage with someone? And, and how do we invite that person? I, I feel like a lot of times people are afraid to do that because they're afraid that the person will not engage with them in a faithful and honorable way. Um, so how do we get over our own mental blocks, but also invite that person into a safe conversation where both people will be respected as people, knowing that we likely are gonna disagree on things, but maybe we should start looking for the humanity in each other rather than the political talking point. Yeah, well, maybe, um, maybe this gets back to the compassion front, right? Like compassion in the very literal sense of to suffer with. Uh, it doesn't work to go into a it doesn't work to go into a debate saying I've got my position and my goal is to say I'm going to try to convince you that I'm right and maybe I'll win or maybe I'll lose but my goal going in is not to have my position changed but to change you um, and if everybody walks into if everybody walks into a discussion with that position going forward, yeah, nothing meaningful will come of it, right? Right. What if the goal instead was to come into it with the goal being compassion, right? That we are, we are in a situation where none of us are happy right now. <laughs> I don't think, I think a lot of us would say it's probably fair to say that, that no matter where you are on a, on a political spectrum right now, everybody is in agreement that, that they're not happy with the current situation. Uh, and, but if your goal is to first be able to, to, to really to suffer with the person around you, uh, to realize that we've, we're all doing the best we can to try to discern the difference between right and wrong what is the next, the next right thing, right? We all want to achieve what's the next right thing. Sometimes we disagree about what that is. Mm -hmm. um, but I see far more productive conversations being had between two people when they walk in and they're really willing to hear the other person, to seek to understand how they feel, to understand their hurt, to understand their concerns and fears. Um, and not, not, not to be convinced by them or to agree with them, but to understand them. Mm -hmm. If both people go into it seeking to really understand the other person, 
then they can potentially walk away with a, a meaningful conversation that even if not, even if one of them's not convinced that the other one's right and they don't walk away in agreement, they've walked away feeling heard. Yeah, I, I really like that. I like that sense of um, practicing compassion and then that, that literal sense of suffering with another person, seeing their suffering and, and feeling it and hearing it and honoring it um, and also inviting them to share that with you and having that invitation reciprocated where you also can share your suffering with that person um, and, and begin to connect with each other on that deep level. And I, I think for me then, you know, on this question of evil, that evil is, is those spiritual forces that, that want to prevent us from doing that that whether it's within us or exterior, um, it's that it's that feeling in the pit of the stomach that this isn't gonna work. Well, I shouldn't do this because this is, this is dumb or this person's never gonna agree with me or, or the, the, that feel, feeling that like we need to gear up for a fight um, rather than I'm gonna let go of everything and just trust and enter into compassion with this person. That's where evil is present. Mm moving around us and, and, and influencing us is it's not so much, you know, these, these, um, it's not like the, the final destination movies where evil is this force, um, causing insane, uh, mayhem, but rather it's that spiritual presence of, of doubt, that spiritual presence of, of anger, of, I need to protect myself above all else and not see this other person as a person. Um, it's that it's those forces that keep us from practicing compassion that keep us from being empathetic and not just sympathetic. Um, right. Yeah. No, a great, I mean, a great way of thinking about evil in that way is, is not approaching it with, you know, swords drawn with the understanding of, we disagree. So therefore either you're evil or I'm evil. And we are going to figure out which one of us, which one of us has the evil within us. Right. And what if instead you and I looked at it together as the evil is that thing that's dividing us and keeping us from, from, from loving one another. Not that we have to agree first, right. Or ever. That, or ever. We're not going to agree on everything, right? But we can be compassionate and loving and respectful toward one another, except for there is something keeping us apart. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, a, that is a great description of evil in that way. Like, what's the thing that's keeping us apart and uh, preventing us from being in full relationship with one another? Mm -hmm. I want to thank Father Stephen for our conversation on evil today. I think it's important to honor this topic because it isn't one that we, especially in mainline Protestantism, are often willing to touch. It's either too mystical and spiritual, therefore it mustn't be real, or it is too real and we're afraid of it. Clearly, I think it is worth discussing because A, it is real. To some extent, it must be as I've already stated. And B, we have no reason to be afraid. If we embrace our faith as the source of our strength and authority in addressing evil, 
when it makes itself known in our world. And it is with this understanding and conversation on the spiritual forces active in our world that we will turn next time to a conversation on how we individually experience a different aspect of things that draw us away from God, sin. We will discuss what sin is, and perhaps more importantly, is not. How sin impacts our relationship with God, our neighbor, ourselves. And how the church exists in this world as a hospital for sinners. Thank you for joining me today for Your Neighbor, a Priest. I leave you today with the following message. Get vaccinated. I, myself, am fully vaccinated. I can tell you it is not that bad of an experience, particularly considering the alternative, and knowing that being vaccinated protects not just myself, but members of my family and my community, and that once we are all adequately vaccinated, we can return back to a certain sense of normalcy once more. With that, also continue to mask up, be well, and God's unending, all-encompassing peace and love be with you all.